Turn now, please, to Romans and chapter 5. Romans 5, it's written in your bulletin, but if you have a Bible, you may want to flip to it, or perhaps your phone, however you best uh, see that and read that. I'd like you to keep it in front of you. It's a fairly dense passage, I would say, and uh, one that's um, it's simply good to see how it's laid out, how Paul has written it to us. So as you find that, let me ask you too also to take your bulletin or look up at the screen and let's pray this prayer together, this prayer of, of illumination. Oh, Heavenly Father, your word is perfect, restoring the souls, making wise the simple, and enlightening the eyes of the blind. Illumine our darkened minds with your Holy Spirit and give us humble hearts, free from all haughtiness and worldly wisdom, in order that we, hearing your word, may rightly understand it and may regulate our lives accordingly. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the, the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death. So as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. As I read through Romans each week and read it with you, I'm simply amazed at what's here. Um, in some significant way, I find myself having marked these passages with cross-references to other passages, meaning that when I read the other passages, I came back to Romans and, and to, to get the, the solid, if you will, theology behind what may have been said in other parts of Scripture. That's certainly the case for this passage. It's foundational to our understanding of the gospel and our understanding as to how God works. This is biblical reasoning. It isn't necessarily anything that you and I might think about, but it's God revealing to us how he works and how he 
deals with us. Paul begins this section with the word therefore, which means he's linking it to what he's already said. And he may go back to the most immediate context, for instance, even verse 11 of chapter five, which says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And he's saying, therefore, and that is, since we hope in God, Paul says, now let me tell you about that. Let me strengthen even your hope in God. Or maybe we go back farther in in his writing, we realize that he has said to us that we're all under the wrath of God. And we know that still we all sin and and, and death still is among us. And and so we may ask the question, all right, how can that be? How how is it that everyone sins? How is it that everyone really is under the wrath of God? And, And can we really trust the work of Christ? And so there's a sense in which that we're privy this morning to, in this passage, to to God revealing his reasoning, his way, how all this has come to pass. And it's astounding and amazing to us, but we need to get our minds, I think, wrapped around it, because what he's going to, what, what Paul says to us is that all of human history is wrapped up in two men, two deeds, resulting in two and only two destinies. No matter what else happens, no matter what we think about, no matter how we track the news, no matter how we plot out out the events of history, Paul is saying to us, now I I want you to see the big picture. I want you to see that everything boils down to two men, Adam and Christ. Two deeds, disobedience and obedience. And two destinies, death and life, hell and heaven. It it just boils down to to all of that. Paul uses this relationship between Adam and Jesus um, in in other part of scripture as well you may be familiar with. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, in verse 22, We have it, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. There's a sense of belonging to Adam and belonging to Christ. And then in verse 42 of the same chapter, The apostle writes, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. He's talking about our bodies. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Uh, It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So again, Adam and Christ. Adam, the real Adam from Genesis 1 and 2 and all that. And Christ, so the first Adam and the second Adam, meaning Jesus. Verse 46, but it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the supernatural. The first man, that is Adam, was was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that is Jesus, The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as 
is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So again, you, you see this pairing up, don't you? You see this grouping of those who are uh, of Adam, the first, and of Adam, the second, you see, of Adam and of Christ. And the question then is, to whom do you belong? Um, and that's the point of this Romans in chapter five passage as well. Thomas Goodwin, a 17th century Puritan pastor theologian, put it like this. He says, Paul speaks of them, that is Adam and Christ, as if there had never been any more men in the world. I mean, if this is the only passage you have, you get the sense these are the only two important people ever. And they are. Speaks of them as if there were never any more men in the world, nor were ever to be for a time to come except these two, but why? But because these two between them had all the rest of the sons of man hanging at their belt. In other words, he says, everybody <clears throat> belongs to either in the long run Adam or to Christ. They're the only ones ultimately in that sense that matters. Now, to understand this, we, we need to understand a concept that I think many of you know. I hope many of you know, being good Presbyterians and good Bible scholars and all that. But you know the principle and the, and the idea of covenant, that God deals with people by way of covenant. And in covenants, as God makes promises and there's stipulations to his covenants and blessings and curses and all of that, in context of this covenant, there is a covenant head. And so we have the covenant of works, the covenant of creation with Adam that we see in Genesis, particularly chapter two, where God says to Adam, you can eat of every tree but this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and on the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so we see that Adam is, 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 is in this covenant relationship with God, and, and the, the, the stipulation is don't eat of the tree. The promise, the blessing that's implied in this as we read through the that section of Genesis, and as we read through the Bible, is life, the tree of life. That if he obeys, then he can eat of the tree of life. If he doesn't, he's expelled, as we know, from the garden. And, and this, this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not that the fruit is poisonous, and so if he eats it, he dies. But, but the point is that when he eats it, if he eats it, then what he's declaring to God is, I'm the one who determines good and evil, not you, God. I'm going to go my own way. And we know what happened, that Adam went his own way. And when he did, he surely died. Because you see, death has various dimensions. We have the spiritual dimension to life, to death, and we also have the physical dimension of it. And we also have a third dimension, an eternal dimension that the Bible talks about as well. So we have spiritual death, physical death, and then what the Bible refers to as the second death. And we know about spiritual death that we're separated from the grace of God and thus in so being we lose the very life that comes from God and that presents itself in sinfulness. We see it in Ephesians chapter two and verse one. Again, the apostle writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's a spiritual deadness comes from being under the wrath of God. It comes from being, and thus it presents itself of being unwilling or unable to really please him, 
to do that which is good in the sight of God. We, we see how it's marked out. It's following the evil one, and it has its work in disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the, like the rest of mankind. That's this spiritual death which Paul speaks. The moment that Adam ate of this tree that became true for him and for Eve. And then there's a physical death that would come to them later and comes to all human beings as well. As he says, this, this death, how does the author of Hebrews put it? Puts it it's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment, and indeed it is. And then the book of Revelation, chapter two and chapter 20 and chapter 21, there's a reference to a second death, which is an eternal death. You know, we know that the remedy to this spiritual death is a new birth. And we know that a remedy, the remedy for this physical death is resurrection. So Adam, the covenant head, sinned. And so we see also then this covenant with Christ, this covenant of grace, wherein he represents as well. And what does he do? Well, he brings life. And how does he do that? By obedience. Uh, Adam plunged us into ruin, and Jesus, reconciliation and redemption. And so the, the principle lying behind what Paul's talking about is this principle of what we call repre, uh, representation and imputation, that these covenant heads represent, and then whatever it is that they do is imputed to those they represent. Now, we know something of representation. We live in a representative form of government, and so we vote for people, we elect people, and those people go off to their various points of legislature and... and, and, and uh, and whatever it is that they do then affects us. However it is that they vote where they are affects us. So if our, the people we elected declare war, we're at war, right? So if they think they say we're going to build a bridge, we build a bridge. And whatever it is, and so we understand that sense of representation and how what someone who represents us affects us. Or this uh, concept of power of attorney. Some of you may uh, understand that, maybe in relationships like that, where you uh, have power of attorney on behalf of another, and, and uh, so whatever it is that you have a right to do for them by nature of that legal document, if you do it, it's as if they do it. So, um, perhaps, the, at least for me, the, the best example of this kind of thing is, is in a wonderful story that we all know from the scripture of David and Goliath. You remember what happened? You remember that uh, uh, the little shepherd boy, David, went to take some snacks to his brothers who were in the army, and, and um, when he got there, there was this big giant Goliath who was threatening the Israelite army, and David was confused as to why no one was going to fight him, and, uh, and so uh, David agreed to fight this great giant. Now, the stipulation of the battle was this, that whoever won, David or Goliath, then their army would actually share or be the victor. So if David won, the Israelites won. If Goliath won, the Philistines won. And, and, and so David, in a very real sense, 
represented, he was the covenant head of that battle, uh, of his people, and Goliath his, and we know the situation. By the way, that story is often used, these are parentheses, by the way, uh, those stories, uh, are, that story is often used at halftime of many sporting events when you, your team is small and weak. Uh, you do know it has absolutely nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Christ and his people. Because David is a great champion, and Christ is our great champion. And so the question is, on that day with David and Goliath, in whom were they in? Were they in David, or were they in Goliath? If they were in Goliath, they were in great shape. I'm sorry, in David, they were in great shape. If they were in Goliath, they were in big trouble. And so that's the sense of which Paul brings to us. Now, this is sometimes hard for us because we're so individualistic. We think of ourselves as individuals. We think of ourselves as responsible for our own, uh, our own destinies and all of that. And there's a sense in which that responsibility is a real responsibility. But, but Paul's saying to us, I want you to understand how God has established this and how things really are and how he's made history to be dependent upon these two men and each their deeds resulting in a destiny. So I'm not here to explain it all to you. I'm just here to declare it all to you that this is the reasoning of God behind why it is that we all sin, why it is that we all die, and why it is that there's hope in Christ. So notice how he puts it in this proposition in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Then there's a dash because he, he, he wants to clarify a bit. But, but let's just take this. Notice for just a moment, he says sin came into the world through one man, through Adam. And so the point is sin wasn't in the world before then, that it entered the world at that point in time. And this sense of entering in the original language means that, there, that, that, that sin intrudes, that sin is an intruder. Um, sin wasn't here, it wasn't supposed to be here, if you will, in that sense. And, and so through Adam's sin, through Adam's disobedience, sin came uh, into the world. So sin isn't necessary for a world, which is great news, because when we think about the consummation, we think about the end, we think about the new earth, sin doesn't have to be there for it to be a world of people, and we'll see that it won't be. But therefore, just as sin came into the world through the, the one man, and death through sin, so death came in as well. Death wasn't in the world of men before sin. And so death comes because it's the penalty for sin, as, as, as reasonably it should be. Because you see, obedience is to bring us life. Disobedience brings us death. Why is that? Why is it a penalty? It's a penalty because to, to follow our own way and to ignore God is to, to take hold of the way of death. God promises life. When Adam sinned, he said, I don't want the life from you. 
So death is his reward. Death is the wages of sin. So death through sin. And so death spread to all men. So not only Adam died spiritually on that day, and not only the seeds of death in him so that he would physically die one day, but, but it spread, death then would spread to, to all, all human beings. And you want to say, well, well, why is that? Why does death spread to everyone? And Paul's answer is because all sinned. Now, that's a past tense. It's an aorist. It means that it was a single act. So it's a corporate single act. You get the sense that Paul is saying that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. He doesn't say because all have sinned. That's true. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned. We have all sinned. And we'll all be punished for our sins. Unless we're forgiven. But he said that the reason that death, the penalty for sin, spread to all people is because all, all sinned. And that's this sense, you see, of corporate identity, this sense of covenant, this sense of representation, that when Adam sinned, we all sinned, we're all related to him. You see, it isn't that every single human being, every kid, every child that's born, is born sort of neutral. They could go one way or the other, sin or not sin, turn towards God or turn against God. It isn't that... The, 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 the situation is that we've all sinned in Adam already. So when we're born, we're born sinners. That's this sense of human nature being not good, but sinful. And so we find that because all sinned. Now, we didn't actually literally do an act of sin because we actually weren't there, right? We weren't there. We weren't, couldn't sin until we were born and have some volition in order to choose to go the way of sin. But, but, but we're going to, everyone, because we're united to Adam. And in Adam, therefore, all sinned. His sin was imputed to us as our legal representative head now, the protest to that, of course, is, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. I mean, I didn't choose Adam to represent me, uh, and uh, I, why did he get to represent me? Why, why don't I have a chance to represent myself? Why don't I have a chance to do it myself? And, of course, the answer to that is, A, that's not the way God laid it out. B, do we really think we'd choose somebody better to represent us than the one that God made to represent us? And C, do you really think, do we really think we would do any better than this one that God had established to represent us? All sinned. And now, to, to kind of solidify that, he gives us a couple of sentences which aren't that easy to understand, but the sense of verses 13 and 14 goes something like this, that, that Adam had a specific command, and then when the law came, some centuries later, when the law came through Moses, Mount Sinai, specific commands were given. Between Adam and Moses, specific commands weren't given. But people still sinned. Remember from chapter 2, we have in our hearts the requirements of the law. And people were still judged for their particular sins, 
uh, thus the flood, right? Sodom and Gomorrah and other things. But Paul's point is that they didn't sin the way that Adam did uh, to be declared guilty. But they still were guilty and they still died. Why? Because in Adam, all sinned. His sin was imputed to everyone. So that's this notion of sin and death. That sin came into the world and to us all because of the sin, uh, because of the sin of Adam. Then notice the deeds, beginning on verse 15. Notice the deeds of the one man, Adam. Verse 15, the trespass. And then we have it again in uh, the middle of verse 16. Uh, the deed of Adam breeds judgment and condemnation. And then we have in verse 17, his trespass uh, causing death to reign. Um, and then we see it again uh, in uh, uh, verse 18. The one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And then we see it in verse 19. One man's disobedience made the money, made us sinners, you see. So here we have the deed of this one man and, and all of this is imputed to us and we realize the trouble that we're in. But then the great champion David, the king of all kings, this Christ comes and he wins the victory. And, and, and notice what it says about Jesus and his deeds in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the, one, through the man's trespass and much more the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I don't know if you noticed, but, but this morning as we were singing and we sang of grace, it was always grace abounding and, and more grace and, and more grace and, and deeper still than our sin. And that's the point of this. You see, it isn't just that Jesus just was just a bit victorious, just did, just did the bare minimum to get over the edge so that, so that we could be uh, forgiven our sins and that we could be righteous in his sight. No, it, it abounded. It's like if, if, if Adam's sin was on a scale of one to 10, if it was a, if it was a, a, a five, then uh, Jesus' grace and his work was a million, you see. It's a no-doubter. Uh, we don't need to doubt it at all. Just like David's slaying of Goliath, that stone was a no-doubter. No, nobody doubted once they saw Goliath fall. He was dead. And thus, Jesus as well. And so you might think about your own sin even and, and think, well, how great is my sin? But, but think of the greater grace of our Lord Jesus and his work, it abounds for many. And then in verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In other, in other words, this, this righteousness we have, no matter how many trespasses there are, it covers them all. 
one man's trespass, death reigned. But notice, through, uh, through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And thus, then verse 18, it sums it all up that this one trespass led to condemnation, but this one act of righteousness to justification uh, for all. The one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. The one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, Jesus conquers everything. And so the, the, the question really is, who is your covenant head? Who's your covenant head in this? Adam, are you still in him? Or Christ, are you in him? Gratian Machen, a theologian of the last generation, and talking about the work of Christ and appealing to people to receive it. He said, you need to realize the work of Christ is, is great. He, he took care of everything. He took care of not only the punishment for our sin, but he also took the probation, the probation that was Adam's, that if you eat of this tree, you'll surely die. Will you obey or will you disobey? And, and Machen's point is not only did he take uh, our, uh, the penalty for our sin, but, but he also lived an obedient life for us. So that not only is, is, is our sin given to him and, and, his, and his forgiveness given to us by way of the cross, but, but our disobedience is given to him and his obedience is imputed to us. He writes this. He says, as a matter of fact, Christ has not merely paid the penalty of Adam's first sin and the penalty of the sins which we individually have committed, but also he has positively merited for us eternal life. He was, in other words, our representative, both in the penalty paying and in the probation slash obedience keeping. He paid the penalty of sin for us. And he stood the probation, the obedience for us. Christ not only took the punishment by his death, but merited for them the reward by his perfect obe obedience to God's law. These are the two great things he's done for us. Adam, before he fell, was righteous in the sight of God but was still under the possibility of becoming unrighteous. Those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ not only are righteous in the sight of God, but they are beyond the possibility of becoming unrighteous. In their case, the probation is over because Christ has stood it for them. It's because of the work of Christ, it's impossible for a believer to become unforgiven. Think of your life. As a believer in Jesus to realize that it's impossible for you to become unforgiven. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because it's all taken care of by him already dealt with. And if you're in him, it's impossible for you to become unrighteous in the sight of God. 
Because all of history, you see, depends on two men, two deeds that result in different destinies. Now the question is, how do you know? How do you know if you're in Christ or if you're still in Adam? How do you know? Well, verse 17, Paul writes, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The the question is, have have you received it? Have you received it? And how do you know if you've received it? Well, you remember this, don't you, from John chapter one, this great passage that John writes, this beautiful hymn of the incarnation. John chapter one, verse nine, we have it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, you see, it's the same word. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the great blessing of of God's way, of covenant, And you might think, well, it doesn't seem fair that that Adam had to represent me and I didn't get any say in it, but but, but there you are. But, But the good news is the parallel to that is that Jesus is the other covenant head. And could you imagine if 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 it was that, well, I only die because of my own particular sins, not born in sin, but my own particular sins. Well, the only way that I could become righteous is if I perform all the righteous acts necessary to be saved. And you see the wonderful gift of God's covenant is that Jesus did it all. And we rest in him. And we rest in him as we believe in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us this morning that there would be no one here who doesn't believe. I pray that everyone here believes. Because we know that we're born into this sin, death, judgment, condemnation because of our relationship with Adam pray that by your gracious and powerful work in our lives that you may grant new birth and faith in Jesus that we may receive and grant to us the assurance because this is your word, this is how you work, this is your word that we may rest what Christ has done. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.